Hi, I'm Dan Cottrell, editor of Rugby Coach Weekly. You're about to jump into one of our podcasts. If you want to find out more about this podcast and also all of the great content, drills, activities, games and advice on the website, then go over to www.rugbycoachweekly.net. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Cottrell, editor of Rugby Coach Weekly. In a moment, we're going to jump into an Ask RCW when I join Gary Townsend, the Bristol Bears Junior Academy Manager, to chat about a question from one of the coaches who has written in to us. And this comes from Will Jones, who takes an under-15 side in Cardiff. I think we slip and up and say under-14s, but it's applicable across all age groups. So, uh, without further ado, let's jump into the podcast. Hi, I'm here with Gary Townsend. Again, we're looking at answering questions from coaches. Uh, here's one which is coming from Will Jones. Um, he's had an issue in one of his early games. Backs seem to be doing the forwards work when it comes to the breakdown. Plenty of the forwards uh, seem to be way too lazy and not bothering to clear out or secure the ball. Do we have any good drills that we could use to get them switched back onto this? So, Gary... What would you be doing first? Well, the first thing I'd be doing is I'd be looking at have I got the right players in position? So that's the first thing. The second thing I'd be looking at is you know the accusation of um, too late, too lazy, and not bothering. Is it too lazy and not bothering, or because the work has already been done for them, which is a good thing? Is it because they don't quite understand what their role is, which isn't a good thing? Do they also, as 12 and 13-year-old boys, want the ball in their hand, which I suspect they very much do. So if they want the ball in their hand and somebody's there first, which will be a centre or winger or full-back, then they're not going to do that work because they want to play because they're kids. So let's say, let's, we're, I mean, maybe with, um, we're looking at, say, under-13s, under-14s, when players start to look like they're going to play in certain positions, maybe for that season or maybe uh, just for that season but not beyond. Do, do we need to say, right, forwards, you're going to be mainly rucking? No, I don't think so. Not at that age because you don't know where they're going to wind up anyway. I would suggest that all of them need to be able to... Yeah, but okay, sure, sure. They, uh, they do. Everyone needs to do have um, an all-court game, if possible. But when we're coming to a game, do we need to get players to have slightly more defined roles? Because obviously, you've got a nine who's going to be passing away a ball away more often than not from a ruck. How about actually when it comes to games? No, I would suggest you're nine and ten. You're sort of that. That's where you. Um, uh, in terms of early development, early experience, because they're the decision makers. I think after that, it's um, game on, really. And you know, I, I think your centres could well be back rowers anyway, so why not get them involved in that? that? Your, your back rowers could well be centres in the future, or they might actually move forward and be your second rowers and your front rows. You know, the question I would ask is, you know, that's quite a high expectation if you're playing a wide game and I, I, I really, really hope that that's the case and there's not a one-out game. So you're playing a wide game, 
you're then expecting. So I could just go back to that uh, thing. So the one-out game is the the person who's passing from the base of the rack. Normally a nine will pass to say a forward, and they'll they'll take the ball up, and it'll be recycled right through three or four times. What does a wide game look like? Is it just getting the ball out to the wing, or is it something a bit more sophisticated? No, it's getting the. I think it's getting the ball beyond the ten. That's the first thing. A wide game can be a back in, a back inside ball, but it is wider than the nine pass into a runner that's very close to that ruck or more. So anything wider than that to me is starting to be a wider game. But it certainly should involve players with the double digits on their back um, rather than single digits. And if you're going to play that wide game, which I would urge you to do, particularly at that age, then it's a big ask. If Presumably the four, four and five, one, two and three are the bigger players and you're expecting them to scrummage then get to the next breakdown and then get to the next breakdown. If you're playing that one-out game, that nine to a forward lumbering up, then you've probably got a fair point. But I would suggest that's not the right game to play for that age group. Okay, so we, we're thinking about our perhaps our, perhaps just like changing philosophy on positions and how the game is played. Now we're going into the actual game. How are we going to help players to understand when they've got to go in and help win the ball at the ruck? What, what, what sort of things are we going to be doing in training which is going to make them a bit more aware? Well, that comes, it does come from playing lots of games and anticipating what's going to happen because you've seen that picture lots of times before. But so also, when you say games, is this games, matches? Yeah, or so, games yeah, in 10 training? aside, 12 aside, 15 aside. You know, those small, small-sided games build into larger games um, which best represent what they're actually going to do when they play on a Sunday or on a Wednesday afternoon or whenever it might be. So you need to play games that look like the game if you want them to develop the skills that are game-related or the concepts that are game-related, e.g. a breakdown. All right, And then after that, you can do practices. I know drills is a, is a word that we're sort of banned from saying, but it is a drill. It is a practice, but I would suggest it's a decision-rich practice. And by that, all I mean to say is you might do the same thing two or three times and then you condition the, the defence to paint a different picture and pose a different problem. So it becomes a decision-rich. So the first time you might decide that you're going to pick up the ball and pass it, the next time the defence has come in and, and you need to sweep them away. So you change those conditions. But I would also say... That's 1 to 15. It's not just a practice for forwards. It's not just a practice for back. It's 1 to 15 because they will all need to be able to do that. So in this, sometimes what we're going to find is that players are naturally going to be the ones who are not going to go in to ruck. So uh, we're probably facing a situation here where, as you say, some of the forwards like to run with the ball and that, that's the part of the game they enjoy. How are we going to help persuade those players to do a bit more of maybe the what we might regard as the, the grunt work, the hard work, when in fact what they really enjoy is carrying the ball? I think it comes with age and experience anyway and, and, a, and a great understanding of the game. But I think it's also, if you talk about, we talk about, um, as you know, and with Bristol Bears, we talk about we rather than me, just looking at the bigger picture. And... It's about that teamwork, that team ethic in order that we can play the game. We all need to contribute to that 
and we all need to be able to do these things. So I'm going to just pick you up on that then. So that sounds great. We're, we're coaches, we're experienced coaches, and uh, if we're working in the academies um, situation, the boys are, they know they're on a little bit of a knife edge. If they're not going to quite toe the line, then that's a potential pathway block for them. So you're, you're a club. How are we going to help players who aren't on the edge, won't be dropped or left out of teams to become more part of a team? Uh, I think that's right encouragement. I think that's acknowledging the work that they do because so often um, in some of the stuff that I see in games and in practices, I see the kid that scores the try getting the praise and the kids that work their backsides off to create the try getting very little recognition and acknowledgement of that. So at that point, well, I tell you what, I'd rather score a try than make a try because I'm going to get acknowledged for that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think sometimes it's coaches and I, and, I, and I do it myself and I have to work really hard not to do it. We watch the ball rather than watching the effort to win that ball or retain possession or whatever it might be. Can you give me some examples then of ways that we can acknowledge the player? So it's very clear, obviously, when someone scores a try. So what sort of uh, language might you be using which would be... Yeah, I've acknowledged that you've really made a contribution here. Things that uh, coaches will say, under-13s, under-14s, under-15s will say, that sort of language will make a difference with these players. Yeah, I I can only speak from my own experience. The language that I use, if you like, I'll very often um, talk to a player and say, tell me how you contributed to that try or that defence or whatever it might be. But let's let's stick with a try. Tell me how you contributed to that try. Very often the kids say, I didn't. And they say that they didn't because they didn't touch the ball or whatever. And then, then we have to say, right, okay, how did we get the ball? Well, we took it into contact. We got tackled on the floor. What did you then do? Oh, I was the first one there. What did you, what, then tell me what happened. Oh, I drove that, the defender away. Okay. And then what happened? Well, we got the ball out and we sped it wide and we scored in the corner. Okay. So that's your try as much as a try scorer's try because you've contributed to that. Do the same with players in support. Tell me how you contributed to that try. I didn't, I didn't touch the ball. Which direction did you run that way? What happened to the defender? He went with me. Where was the space on the other side? And it's acknowledging that work off the ball as much as the players on the ball. Now, some of those players will have not contributed because they've literally not contributed. So how are we going to help them in a positive way to see that they there are areas that they could do to improve because it's very easy to criticize and when no one's very good at taking criticism and kids in, in are find it difficult so what can we do positively to help them think about the key points i, I think you, to, I, uh, where i would disagree with you i think every player on the pitch contributes in some way okay and sometimes it's harder to find that contribution <laughs> okay. than other times. <clears throat> but however minor or small that, that contribution might be, you've got to pick up on it, you've got to acknowledge it, you've got to reward it, and the reward is, hey, I really saw that, that was great. Um, and that's like their encouragement to continue to do that. I think if you just leave it, don't say anything at all. So it may well be that that player... 
gets into a, a position which could be a threat. He maybe not be a, he's maybe not a threat because he lacks confidence or competence. But acknowledge the fact. I really like the fact that he worked hard to get in that position. That was great. Well done. Okay, let's think about how we might contribute a little bit more now. Mm. Can we? Could we do this? Could we do that? And give them that that uh, those options. But look, it's a, it's an old saying that every player matters, every child matters. I think sometimes you've got to dig a little bit deeper and look at what they do rather than what they don't do. Okay, so we've looked at the uh, the positive language, the way that we encourage them. So let's think about some doing do stuff. Um, <coughs> In your next training session, this coach goes to the next training session. He's going to be doing his, his warm-ups and uh, whatever he does in preparation for various different parts of the game. But when he's going to focus on this, what would you be doing first? You're, you're arriving with a group of under-14s. You know that um, in the previous week they, they struggled really to, to win more rucks uh, than they should or they haven't won as many rucks as they should. What, what would you be doing? What would be your number one action, drill, game scenario uh, okay first of all I get them into games and stuff to see what they can do mm-hmm. right? and then we'll take it from there uh, I'd have in my head that we're going to improve their breakdown skills or contact skills I'd probably start with some one on one stuff um, and look at the tackle and how they fall or if they stay on their feet and all those sorts of things and I'd put in one support player um, and give them, they give them some scenarios. Probably put in a defender as well, tell the defender to push up or to stay back. So all the time it's decision rich. So I'll give you an example. You've got four players there. One one defender, um, sorry, one tackler, one defender, ball carrier and his mate. Ball carrier tries to beat the defender, but you make the space so small that it's almost impossible the support player then has to make a decision. Is he on his feet? Do I hit and drive? Or do I, um, if he goes to ground, do I pick the ball up and pass it? Have I got time to do that? Have I got um, time to drive away? Whatever that scenario presents itself. You condition the second defender to go either going on the ball, to stand back a little bit and give the, the um, support player some time some, to make those sort of decisions. Sometimes you might ask them to come up and contest the ball. Sometimes you ask them to stay back and not contest the ball. It's quite interesting when you do that sort of stuff. If you do the same thing three or four times, on the fifth time you change it, the support player does exactly the same thing as he's done the previous four times. Right, and that's a good that's a good learning opportunity to say why have you done that? Well, be, because I've always done it. Well, okay. Where was the defender? The defender was five meters away. Did you have time to pick the ball up? Did you have time to play? Did you have time to get an offload? Whatever it might be. So can I just uh, jump in there? So I can see that as um, uh, there's, there's decision rich in terms of how I act um, based on the defender in front of me. Um, in terms of this game problem here, um, the, the the next supporting player is not having to make a decision on how they ruck or what they have to do at their ruck. They have to make a decision whether they want to need to join the ruck or not. So let, let's build on from that. How are we going to help those players as they are maybe getting up from a previous ruck or they're involved a pass or two away from the tackle? How are we going to help them 
make better decisions whether they should go in to secure the ball or not. But I think that's where you're sm- you go from a practice, a four-player four practice, you might even go over five or six-player practice. That's when you go into six, seven-a-side games. Yeah. Right. I, I would also say if it's around that contact area, you make the pitch relatively small so there's lots more contact. Mm-hmm. And being a lot more contact, you expose when a player is isolated as well. Um, but first of all, do they know what they're doing? Do you know why they're doing it? And then once they know the what and the why, it's certainly the why and the what probably that way around, you're more likely that they're going to do what the coach wants them to do and go a little bit wider. But right. we also have to understand that big kids who play in the front row are not necessarily that quick. So they can get to perhaps not the first breakdown, but expectation might be that they get to the second or third breakdown because they're bigger players. Right, so we've got to set them out some, uh, some targets and some language and uh, some technical expertise, but we've got to make it suitable for under-14s. So just, just to sort of finish off, what sort of language would you sort of be wanting to use a bit more with this age group and perhaps some language you might say, this is great language, but not yet. Uh, the language, I, I, so you know I'm very, very keen on that, keep the ball alive. Um, and that's what I would be saying, keep the ball alive, play fast. How do we play fast? Where well, your support's got to be there. And our breakdown skills have got to be very, very accurate. And they have to be very quick as well. So what we don't want is that, uh, the words to avoid is take it in and set it up yeah. with without any shadow of a doubt. Well, if we say, keep the ball moving, if you play games where you penalise them because the ball is dead for three seconds or four seconds, they very, very soon learn how to keep that ball moving. That would be the placement on the ball, that might be staying on their feet, that might be that support play, that might be taking them away at the ruck. But they they get to play the game you want them to play if you penalise the game that you don't want to see and the game that you don't want to see is that slow placement of the ball. Uh, to go back just quickly uh, on, on the game, before the game starts, would you? how clear would you be on the intention of the game? So this game here, I want you to do this, this and this or do you play the game with some rules, constraints to allow them to um, find out for themselves what works? Or is, uh, it, or is it a balance? I think it's a balance with everything, you know, I think um, extremism is a dangerous thing and I think, I think it is that balance, that, um, but I would say, look, what, how have we been practising, right, what do we want to do, what's the key message, the key message is we want to play fast and we keep the ball alive, okay, I want you to think about how we're going to do that, play, come back in, okay, tell me how successful we were, What's the way we want to play? We want to play fast. What helps us to do that? Our support. Okay. What happens in the breakdown? Well, first of all, we don't we don't look for a breakdown when we've got the ball. We try and keep the ball alive as much as possible. But if we get we're tackled, we're going to make sure that that ball is ready and available within three seconds, five seconds, whatever it might be. If you're playing a game against another team, that would be my criteria in terms of okay, fellas. Um, what do we want to do? We want to keep the ball alive. What what slow ball? Five seconds. Okay, so I'm going to measure every time the ball goes into a contact situation if we can keep that ball moving, you know, how long it takes before that ball comes out. 
and I would use that as our target. So I'd talk to them at half time and say, oh, brilliant stuff. We went into, we were taken into contact 15 times and of those 15 times, eight times, we recycled the ball um, uh, within five seconds. What's our target for the second half? 100%, 80%, what's it going to be? Okay, and then we go. But I would let the players set the target at half time. And then we can talk about it afterwards. And I think the key thing there to remember <coughs> is that um, you're using the language that you've been using throughout training. It's not, nothing is going to be vastly new to them, certainly when it comes to a match. And um, these are things which, to a certain extent, you can measure and uh, it just helps the players players move on. Gary, that's been brilliant. Thank you very much for uh, your input as usual. And I hope that um, everyone who's listening in will have been able to draw some key things for themselves to do with their teams, whatever the age group. So thanks, Gary. You're welcome.